Psalm 119, verses 145 to 152. The first part primarily addresses cries for help, cries for help and assistance. But throughout this prayer, we will see that these cries for help are based on the Word of God. We might say that this is about prayer and the Word of God, this section. 145. I cried with all my heart. Answer me, O Lord. I will observe your statutes. I cried to you, save me, and I shall, be, and I shall keep your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for your words. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. Hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinances. Those who follow after wickedness draw near. They are far from your law. You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Of old I have known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask you to teach us how to pray. We, teach, uh, ask, we ask you to teach us how to pray according to your word. We ask you, Lord, to be glorified because we are fully committed and we desire to walk with you day by day with complete dedication. Give that to us. Give it to us by your spirit of grace, whom you pour out upon us, the spirit of grace and the spirit of supplication. May we have more of your Holy Spirit. For we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, David here is, emphasizes the fact that he cries out to God. He cries out to God for help, and he cries out to God for help according to the word of God. Sometimes we hear of how we should pray the scriptures, which is true. We should pray the scriptures in the sense that we ought to know what the Bible says about every issue so that when we come to God in our prayers, God is pleased to answer our prayers. When we come to Him based on what the Bible says, then we have confidence that He will answer our prayers. That means we cannot ask anything that's contrary to the Bible. Proverbs 28, 9 says, He who turns away his ear from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. That means we cannot pray anything that's contrary to the Bible. When we pray that, then that prayer will be an abomination. It will be something God despises. He won't answer it. And also, the Bible teaches us when we come to God in prayer, we ought to come with our sins confessed. We ought to come knowing who we are and having a humble attitude before Him. We need to confess and repent of our sins, so we have to be aware of our sins and therefore confess them as we pray to Him that He might answer our prayers, that He might answer our prayers to guide us and help us to overcome. Because the Scripture says in Psalm 66, 18, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. As well, 1 Peter 3, 7, speaking of the, uh, the sins of the husbands towards their wives, and if they don't live accordingly in a godly way with their wives, he says, your prayers may be hindered. And in that case, he was warning them and telling them to do right so that their prayers are not hindered. We want our prayers answered. So let's pray, and let's pray genuinely, authentically to God for the answers to our prayers. But based on a righteous life and based on our knowledge of the Word of God. This is the way we come to Him. 
Verse 145. Let's read 145 and 146 together since they are similar statements. I cried with all my heart, answer me, O Lord, I will observe your statutes. I cried to you, save me, and I shall keep your testimonies. David, when he says that he's crying to God, I don't think that he's necessarily speaking of weeping to God, though he may be weeping. He's expressing his great fervency in prayer, his great devotion in prayer. He's crying out aloud. He's crying out and begging God. Or as Luke 11 says, that the friend who has a, a, a stranger or a, a, a newcomer coming into his home from abroad, he sees him coming and he doesn't have what's necessary to feed him at night, so he asks this other friend and he persistently asks the other friend. He asks and he seeks and he knocks on the door of his friend. Or in Luke 18, the widow who is seeking justice, who is seeking justice from the judge, the widow is persistently asking the judge, even though the judge is a wicked judge, he doesn't want to answer her, he doesn't want to give her justice, but he will give her justice because she persists. She won't let, let up on her request, and he's afraid that she is going to wear him down. That's the sense in which David is saying, I cried with all my heart. And he says, I cried to you, save me, and I shall keep your testimonies. This is the way we have to beg God, beseech God, come to God in this attitude, in this way, because this is the way one who truly knows God, he'll come to God like this in faith, knowing that God has the ability to help and to save. We come to God that way because the people around us are untrustworthy. The people around us are unrighteous. The people around us are unloving and unmerciful toward us. But we know that all of these perfections are in God. So that this is why we should fervently come to God in prayer. Not coming to Him casually. Not coming to Him with a, uh, just a, a thought that, well, let me do my duty today. That's not the way we should come to God. When we come, we should come and cry to Him with our whole heart so that we are, might have our prayers answered. Based on His Word and based on the fact that we deserve nothing and He is the one who is all gracious and merciful toward us. As well, in both of these verses, 145 and 146, David, the righteous man of God, the believer, he's not wanting the answers to prayers. He doesn't want God's grace to come upon him merely that he might have a better life, merely that he might have all of his troubles go away. He's not praying for those reasons. He's praying so that he might be well-equipped to obey God. He says, I will observe your statutes, and I shall keep your testimonies. He wants answers to prayer so that he is better equipped to do the will of God, that he's better equipped to please God in, in the commandments of God. Whatever God has said, he wants to do. He does not want to be distracted from the trials of life from obeying God. He wants the grace of God by the spirit of grace to come upon him so that he can do what God told him to do. He still has this utmost resolve in the midst of his need to please God and to do whatever God tells him to do according to the word of God. This is why when we pray, we should pray 
according to Proverbs 28, 9, pray according to the Bible. Not according to our whims, not according to the whims and fancies of the world, not according to anything like that, but according to the Word of God. If it agrees with the Word of God, then we should pray for it and anticipate God to answer our prayers. Keeping in mind what Jesus said in Matthew 6, Matthew 6, 33, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Whatever our concerns and worries of the world, whatever our needs are, our physical needs, God will answer our prayers when we persist. He'll give us, if we have the right attitude, seeking spiritual things, He will add to those physical things. He will provide for His own children. Now let's see the extent to which David, the righteous believer, prays. In 147 and 148, notice the time of day. The time of day. This is implying that he's doing it all the time. He prays without ceasing, as the scripture says we should do in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. 147, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for your words. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. He prays before dawn. He rises before dawn to cry for help. The moment he is aware, the moment he knows he's got breath, that he's alive again the next morning, the moment he has that knowledge, he wants his first breath to be a prayer to God and an ardent prayer to God. Notice, cry for help. He wants it to be an ardent prayer the first thing in the morning, the moment he's awake. This is the kind of man he is, and this is the kind of men we should be praying to God, knowing that our breath comes from him, so we should use our first breath in the morning, the first time we are aware of it, to pray to God and to pray ardently. Not only to pray to him, but to wait or hope for the words of God. To hope in the words or to wait for the words of God. He knows that he needs prayer, but he also needs the Word of God in order to instruct his prayer and in order for him to put his mind on those promises and those truths of the Bible to guide him throughout the day. He needs that every day. And this is not just for David to do, whether in the daytime in verse 147 or in the nighttime, verse 148. It says in Psalm 148 that the righteous man delights in the law of God, and in his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 1, he meditates on the word of God day and night. The Bereans of Acts 17, 10 and 11, they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. In fact, in Acts chapter 20, they are gathered together as a church, and you know that there's a young man who is listening to the Word of God at nighttime. He's sitting on the windowsill. He falls asleep because the meeting was prolonged. He falls asleep and falls down, and he dies, though Paul revived him by a miracle. You see how the Word of God was loved, it was preached, it was enjoyed, it was read day and night by the Bereans and also by the disciples in Acts 20. This is the way it should be with us. This is why also he says in 148, My eyes anticipate the night watches, that I may meditate on your word. The night watches. There are four watches of the night. 
That is, this is the terminology of a soldier or a guard, a watchman of the city. That's what this terminology is. And he's saying his eyes anticipate the night watches. He wants, in the middle of the night, when it's still and quiet, perhaps, for him to be able to think about God in the middle of the night. Or perhaps he's thinking about his own duty as a soldier first and then as a king later, that as a soldier and as a king, sometimes he's on the battlefield and the soldiers need to have uh, rotations for these night watches of the night. And when he's there, he's going to not squander his time and he's not going to sin. He's not going to be derelict in his duties as a soldier, but while he's there, he's going to be thinking about God. He's not going to go chase some sin in the middle of the night, and he's not going to sleep in the middle of the night. He's going to be awake, alert, and anticipate the night to meditate on the Word of God. He's going to meditate on the Scriptures and pray accordingly. It doesn't matter to David. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. He always wants to think about the things of God, who God is. Remember the disciples, they were sleeping in the Garden of Gethsemane. They had had some sorrow and they were sleeping from sorrow, but that was unjustifiable even sleeping from sorrow. When you have sorrow, why should you go to sleep? When you have sorrow, you should pray to God until you trust that God will handle it and then you can sleep. This is what David meant in Psalm 3. In Psalm 3, he has Absalom chasing him. Absalom is persecuting him and threatening his life. And it says in Psalm 3, when he prayed to God, and then what happened? Psalm 3, verse 3, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. And at the beginning, it does tell us this was his prayer when he fled from Absalom, his son. So no matter what time of day, our focus, our thoughts should be on God, day or night. Verse 149. Hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinances. This desire now David has, he has God, uh, God in mind. He wants God to hear his voice. Hear what I'm saying. Don't let what I'm saying fall on deaf ears. Don't let what I say fall to the ground. May it reach you all the way up into heaven because I'm crying out to you. And I'm crying out to you to revive me, to continue to give me life for two reasons. Your loving kindness and your ordinances. His loving kindness, His grace and mercy, this is what He has in view. I want to pray to you because I know you are the source of all that is good and right for my needs, for grace, mercy, and love, compassion, patience. I know everything I need comes from you. So I pray to you for that. This is why the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Grace and Supplication. The Spirit of Grace and Supplication, Zechariah 12.10. And also Hebrews 10.29, he's called the Spirit of Grace. The Spirit of Grace is 
who we need inside of us, though we have Him as new believers, we possess the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit possesses us as His temple. He dwells within us. Yet His power, His control, His influence in our life has to be in us day by day. The Spirit will not be a dead spirit within us. He's not a dormant and dead spirit. Inside a believer, the Holy Spirit works by grace to give us powerful uh, assistance to overcome our sins, to change what our minds used to feast on, to change what our hands and mouths used to feast on, and to feast on God. This is why Jesus said in, in Luke eleven thirteen, if you then know how to, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? By praying to the Father, we ask Him for the Spirit of grace to fill us, to guide us, to lead us in, into the right path. This is the kind of loving kindness we have according to His love and according to His Word. We want assistance. We want more grace so that we can continue to live. We want more grace so that we can continue to live in God. We want all of this also matching the Word of God. We, we don't ask for grace from the Holy Spirit to contradict the Word of God because it says, Revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinances. Whenever true revival has occurred within us, it causes us to live according to the ordinances of God. No one can claim, God revived me. God spoke to me. The Holy Spirit told me to do something that's contrary to the Bible. The Holy Spirit will never say, worship another God. The Holy Spirit will never say, worship an idol. The Holy Spirit will never say, take the name of the Lord in vain. The Holy Spirit will never say, dishonor the Sabbath. The Holy Spirit will never say, dishonor your father and mother. The Holy Spirit will never say, commit murder, or adultery, or theft, or lies, or covetousness, and any other sins. The Holy Spirit will never call on us to contradict what the Word of God clearly says. We must pray for God's grace so that we might live according to His ordinances. Verse 150. Those who follow after wickedness draw near. They are far from your law. The, those who follow wickedness, they come close to the righteous man. And David identifies them as being far from the law of God. Now, we might ask, how can we know who's wicked and who's not? What does David say in this verse? We can know who's wicked and who's not if they depart from the law of God. When they are around us, and when they surround us, and when they threaten us, and when they malign us, when they're all around us, sometimes we can be perplexed. We can be perplexed and, and think, now, and are they righteous because there's so many of them? Or am I righteous? I'm in the, in the minority, and they are in the majority, so who's righteous and who's wicked in this case? How can we know? How can we know objectively Who's in the right and who's in the wrong? According to this, it says that the wicked people are far from the law of God. They are near in proximity to the righteous man, but they are far spiritually from the law of God. They are far from God because they don't live their life according to the law of God. 
They might say their way is right. They might say, well, there's a bunch of us and there's only one or two of you. They might say it like that. They might say everybody's on my side and everybody knows that this is the way to do it. This is the way to live life. They might say those things to us, but what should come to our mind? Well, let's see. Is what they say, is what they advise according to the law of God? If it's not, then literally and actually, they are far from the law of God. I've spoken of being consistent with the Scriptures. These days, there are many sins, such as those sins against the Ten Commandments that people commit. There's also many other kinds of sins that people prop up to justify their behavior and to alleviate their own guilt. They have this guilt within them and the way that they alleviate it, the way that they pacify their guilt is to speak up and say, well, oh, that's not a sin. Oh, well, why, why would you call that a sin? But if it is a sin or not, it's not up to any man to say authoritatively, but it is based on the authoritative, clear, and sufficient Word of God. If the Bible says it's a sin, then it is a sin. And it doesn't matter what you say, it doesn't matter what I say, it depends on what the Word of God says. The Word of God is the source of a, the authority uh, to speak on any matter whatsoever. Then we can know who is with God and who's far from God. 151. You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. The wicked are near, yes, in, in 150, but the Lord is near. When the Lord is near, we understand that everything is okay. This is why Jesus said, And I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. Matthew 28, 20. Even until the end of the age, I will be with you. The Lord is near. So when the Lord is near, we have no fear of the wicked surrounding us. We have no fear. Because our confidence, our hope, our convictions are based on the commandments of God. All the commandments of God, which are true. Not some of them, not most of them. All of the commandments of God are true. It does not do to pick and choose. It's not as though we're going out into the, into the, the cherry field to go uh, pluck some cherries and pluck the ones that we want, but discard the ones that we don't want. We cannot come to the Bible as though it were a cherry plant, a cherry tree. We cannot go and do that. We have to come to the Bible believing that all of His words are true, and whatever people say who are near us, God is nearer to us than those people, and God is on our side with His truthful Word of God. So let's believe the Bible. Let God be found true, though every man a liar. And let's do as Psalm 120, uh, 119, 128 says, Therefore I esteem right all your precepts concerning everything. I hate every false way. We esteem right, true, reliable, all of God's precepts concerning everything. Any subject that the Bible touches, our immediate reaction should be, the Bible is true and anyone who contradicts it is false. That should be our immediate and natural reaction. And 152. 152 says, Of old I have known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Of old. In previous 
days, previous decades, he may be here speaking of his childhood. Speaking of his childhood, because of course, he, David lived to be 70 years old. He had a beginning and he had an end of life. So of old cannot be centuries upon centuries or millennia or anything like that. He must be speaking of his early part in life when his parents taught him the Bible. Just as the grandmother and mother of Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, where it's described how they taught Timothy the Bible from childhood. They read the Bible, they discussed the Bible, they taught Timothy to memorize the Bible. These would be the kinds of things that a godly mother and grandmother would do for their children. Opening up the Bible and reading it and memorizing it together. Understanding its truths. David says, that's what happened to him. Of old I have known from your testimonies. Of old, that's when he learned all of these truths. Of old, when he, in his childhood, he learned God's testimonies. That's when he learned them. But he also learned that God has founded them forever. The mother and grandmother of Timothy brought about in him a sure conviction that the Bible was true and that whatever the Bible said would last forever. That it's not a human book. It's not a book to be discarded. It's not a book to be ignored. It's not a book to, to pick and choose whatever you like, whatever suits your fancy. He knew from childhood that that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is a book whose truths are eternal. That God has endorsed them. God has guided the prophets by His Holy Spirit to guide them to write the truths of the Bible. The Old Testament and the New Testament. 2 Peter chapter 1, 16 to 21, and 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament are both founded forever. Jesus said, Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And His words include the words of the Old Testament, according to 1 Peter 1, 10 to 12. Because there it says, The Spirit of Christ was within the prophets, prophesying, of Christ. The Spirit of Christ was in the prophets. That means that David, as a prophet, when he writes these words, he's writing the words of God. David knows, and all the saints of the past, they all knew that the Bible was founded forever. It was founded to give us eternal life and to have everything that it says to be enduring, to be everlasting, to be eternal. So it's not to be relegated to a human book with temporary benefits. That's not the way we should treat the Bible. The Bible is not here for our temporary crutches. It's not here just to make sure that we are fat and happy until we die. It's not here for that reason. It's here to give us an idea of how to prepare for the world to come. He had this. David had this. Timothy had this. And many others have had this truth known from childhood. And they have stuck with it. They have believed it until the very day that they die. Therefore, let's pray earnestly. And let's pray according to the Bible. And even if people all around us do not live this way, let's live this way. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.